0: Welcome to the podcast series of the UNESCO Chair in Refugee Integration through Languages and the Arts. We bring you sounds to engage with you and invite you to think with us.
1: Hello, my name is Kate Coucher, and I am a lecturer at the University of St Andrews in the History of Art department. I joined St Andrews in 2018. I had been working in the United States at the University of Maryland. Um, my research uh, for my PhD focused on modern art in East Africa, specifically actually in Ethiopia. And it was when I arrived at the University of St Andrews that I started looking for works of art in Scotland that I might use in my teaching at St Andrews. I was developing a course in particular on modern art uh, in the African on the African continent in the 1960s, the era of independence and after. And it was in preparation. For that course that I discovered this painting by Samuel and Tanzania's most famous modern artist, that was housed in this thing called the Argyle Collection, which I previously knew nothing about. And discovering that painting was the start of what became a kind of two-year-long research project that led to the exhibition, Data de Noon: Modern African Art from the Argyle Collection, that uh, was at Danoon Borough Hall in May and June of 2021. On the 26th of May, I participated in the UNESCO Spring School alongside my colleague, Madeleine Kahn, who is cultural coordinator for Argyll and Butte Council, who I've been working with on this project. And we went to the Spring School with the two students who Uh, helped me with the research for this. That's Meredith Loper and Ellie Kem Logan, both of whom you will hear in this podcast talking about the works of art that they did specific research on. At the Spring School we talked about the I guess the journey of this research project and at the time the exhibition had only just opened in Danoon so we were able to share some images of the exhibition display and you can see those images now on our website datadanoon.com. The other person you'll hear in this podcast is Tawona Sithole, who is a UNESCO artist in residence at the University of Glasgow and he was somebody that uh, Madeline made a connection with um, who joined us uh, earlier this year to run the first creative workshops in primary schools in Argyll and Butte using the works of art in the Argyll collection that come from East Africa and prior to This research project, very little was known about these works of art. In the years since they had been collected, the names of the artists, the titles, the dates, all of that information in some cases had been completely lost or in other places just uh, somewhat misplaced. In putting all of that information back together, we've been able to rehabilitate these works of art as really exciting learning resources. And Tawona was responsible for running the first creative workshops using a couple of these works of art with uh, some groups of primary school students. And they produced pieces of creative writing as well as paintings that were on display with the works of art in Danoon back in May and
2: June. Hello, I'm Madeline. I'm the cultural coordinator at Argyll and Butte Council, and um, I'm responsible for looking after um, the Argyll art collection. We have been working with Kate and the University of St Andrews for the last few years, um, and you'll hear more about that in the podcast. Um, since the spring school, what we've been doing is really trying to, um, to promote the resources that we've developed. and We're really hoping that um, there's going to be a good uptake of um the resources during Black History Month in October this year, and um, what you'll hear now is a recording of the Spring School event.
3: everybody. Welcome. Hey, Kani. Um, hopefully you're having a good Wednesday. We are into <laughs> week two of our UNESCO Spring School. And uh, yeah, uh, this is a place to think together, laugh together, cry together, maybe. Who knows? Um, so yeah, I'm very excited today to be introducing this project and my uh, my partners in crime on the, on the project DART to Danun. Uh, the works have been a subject of a two-year research project to document them, track down their makers, and trace their journeys from the African continent to Agile. And I played my small part in doing some school workshops, but I'm not going to talk too much about that. I'm going to introduce the team uh, from St. Andrews who did um, their part of the research and in, uh, in collaboration with uh, Agal and Butte Council and I'll let these guys describe the project for you. So, yeah, um, I'm very happy to introduce to you now Madeline Kahn, who is Cultural Coordinator for Gal and Beat Council. Madeline, can you give us a wave? Hi. <laughs> and then the team from St. Andrews, led, led by Dr. Kate Croucher, who is lecturer in art history. Kate.
4: Hello. Uh,
3: and then uh, we've got Meredith Loper uh, from St. Andrews, who's, uh, UCL Art History alumni and soon to be research officer at the National Gal- Gallery in London. So whoop, whoop, ekani hey, Well done, Meredith. <laughs> Give us a wave. <laughs> and then last but not least, Elikam Logan uh, from St. Andrews as well, uh, Art History alumni, currently completing his M.L.E.T. in Legal and Constitutional Studies and soon to be starting an MSc in African Studies at the University of Oxford.
1: Thank you so much, and Thank you all for... Uh for inviting us thank you bella for making it possible squeezing us into the program because i know you've got a very busy schedule um but it's a real treat to come along and be able to share with you uh, a little about this project as tauna said the exhibition has just opened into noon um, okay, so um, I'll just give a very brief uh, intro and then I'm going to hand, Madeline's going to talk a little about her role at Argyle and Butte Council and then Meredith and Ellie Kem were my under brilliant undergraduate research assistants, they were superstars in my course at St Andrews and I asked them if they would come on board with this project and help me with some of the research and they're going to share with you a couple of works of art that they sort of demystified I guess, tracked down the artist names for etc. So the origin of this project uh, was a couple of years ago when I was writing a lecture, I was living in the US at the time, I was writing a lecture on East African modern art, and I wanted an example of a painting by this man in the middle, Samuel N. Tiro, who is one of, well, he is Tanzania's probably most famous modern artist, but he's one of the most important artists um, on the African continent in the 60s. He also was Tanzania's ambassador to the UK when, when what was then Tanganyika gained its independence in 1961. So he's also a diplomat as well as an artist. When I was looking for an example of work by him, The first one that came up or the first or second search uh, thing that came up is that painting on the right there, chopping wood in this thing called the Argyle Collection. And at this point, I knew I was moving to Scotland and I was really excited about the fact that there was a painting of his in a collection in Scotland. But it was in this thing called the Argyle Collection, which I really knew nothing about. Um, And so I dug a little more into it. And it is this collection that belongs to Argyle and Butte Council. It was set up in the 1960s. By this woman Naomi Mitchison who some of you may know is a very renowned author, was a very famous author but was also an Argyle county councillor and she got the council to set aside a small amount of money to buy works of art. Uh, when I moved to Scotland, I contacted Argyll and Butte Council and asked them if I could find out a bit more about the Sam Tiro painting and it turned out that Sam was not the only African artist in the Argyle collection and in fact there were all these other works, paintings and works on paper that were in that collection, but actually very little was specifically known about them. And in many cases, some of the artist names were missing, a lot of titles were missing, certainly countries of origin, dates, all of this kind of information was a little thin on the ground. So at this point, I'm going to hand over to Madeline, um, who is my, has been my sort of co-conspirator on this project. Um, she's the cultural coordinator at Argyll and Butte Council. and looking after the Argyle collection is one small part of a much bigger job that she does Um, and so it's with her I've been working. So Madeline, maybe you might like just to say a little bit about what the Argyle collection is and uh, I guess you know this where this work fits in it.
2: Yeah absolutely. Um, I'd just like to point out um, ironically Kate got into contact with me first on the 1st of May um, in 2018. I just started in the post um, and was asking about this collection. Um, I am from a sort of museums and galleries background. I was at Glasgow Museums, which is how I knew about Tuona and the amazing work that he'd done with them. Um, And I took over this collection, but all I was given was a list of artworks. To start with, the the kind of, the information about the collection was quite scant and a little bit all over the place. Um, There was an existing um, website, but that was created as part of a HLF project, but... Again, some of the information on the website was wrong, the names were wrong. Um, so we we set about kind of creating this new website, which is, you can see a page from here. So it's a really interesting collection in a way that, because it belongs to schools in Argyle. So um, Naomi Mitchison and Jim Tyra set it up initially because there weren't any museums and galleries that, publicly accessible for, for children. So they wanted to give them access to this collection. And initially it was Jim Tyre that drove a van around and Butte taking these um, artworks to the schools. Um, over time, they, they stopped collecting in, in 1990 as part of the um, city of culture, Glasgow City of Culture. Um, and what I've been doing over the last three years is really trying to kind of shine a light on this collection and trying to get, get it in order, but also to look at how um, schools use the artworks and how we kind of develop creativity skills through these artworks and Kate, when Kate got in contact with me, you know, I had no idea about this part of the collection. Um, so it was incredible to make that contact, co- Contact, but also to work with Meredith and Elikem who were amazing. They came over for a day and did all this research into the artists Interestingly, um, six of the artworks were part of the Public Catalogue Foundation project, so the the, the information on those artists was a little bit more um, detailed. Um, so th- there was a, a lot of a lot, a lot to be found out and a lot of potential for this collection. So it's been an incredible project to work on.
1: These I'm just showing you here some photographs of our first trip over to Argyle in March 2019. In fact, our first the first and only trip because COVID thwarted later trips trips, sadly. Um, but yeah, when, when Madeline was enthusiastic about us getting involved to try and understand this corner of the collection, so there are over the Argyle collection itself has over 170 works. The vast majority of them are Scottish uh, artists and very notable people. One thing Naomi Mitchison in particular was very committed to was buying. Quite interesting, thought-provoking, sometimes rather provocative works of art. There's, there are some really important people in the collection. There's a Joan Airdley, there's Sir Robin Philipson, there's a Wilhelmina Barnes Graham. There's a lot of very notable artists. The African works are only number they only number twelve. They date from the mid 1960s to the early 1970s. And my uh, my doctoral my doctoral research is on um, actually Ethiopian art in the 70s. But I teach a course at St. Andrews on African modernisms and modern art in the era of independence and so these works fall right in the area in which I uh, enjoy teaching and doing research and so this seemed like an ideal research project because these were works about which as I say in many cases very very little was known a lot of the names were missing and so I got a small grant from the University of St Andrews and I uh, paid for uh, Kem and Meredith to come on board as, as research assistants and they were each, they're out of the 12 works, I gave them six works each to do a bit of detective work on and see if they could track down any information at all so that we might flesh out some of the stories of these paintings and how they came to be here. And I should say I'm just going to hand over to Meredith Nellie Kim in a minute and they've, they've got one work each they're just going to tell you a little bit about. But um, the, the whole reason there is a kind of little collection of African works is because whilst Naomi Mitchison was living in Argyle and was a member of Argyll and Butte Council, what was then Argyll County Council. She also uh, was a very international traveler, quite a significant globetrotter, but she had formed a very close connection with a young man from what became Botswana, what was then uh, Botswana land. Um, And he was a young man who was at school in the UK and he traveled to Scotland as part of a British council tour in the early 1960s and he visited her uh, in her big house in Carradale on the Kintyre Peninsula. Um, and his name was Linchwe. And Linchwe was in line to become the chief of the Bagatla people who live on borderland between Botswana and South Africa. And when he was installed as chief in the early 1960s, he invited Mitchison to come to his installation. And this was the start of a very close friendship between them. And so when she traveled, to Botswana in 62, that was the first of many journeys she made to Botswana, and en route to Botswana, she traveled through Nairobi, Dar es Salaam, Kampala, and all these other cities. And that's where she buys works of modern art from this kind of era of independence from the 60s, um, from important galleries, uh, schools, art schools, um, uh, other kind of cultural institutions. So I think before I say anything else I should hand over to, oh that's just to give you, this Give you a little flavour of some of, uh, this is just six, it's just six of the works that are on display but these are exactly the works that, uh, these are examples of works about which we knew pretty much nothing, and in some cases the name (laughs) had been mistranscribed, the the signature had been mistranscribed. So they've been entered into the catalog as incorrect. One example is Jack Katerakawi in the upper right there, a very renowned and beloved Ugandan artist who spent most of his career, latter half of his career in in Kenya actually, but he was somebody who was heavily dyslexic and he spelt his name quite, he he varied the spelling of his name. So um, in this case, the signature was transcribed very literally as it is on the work. um, And it doesn't have an A, Uh, before the end of his name. So, you know, he wouldn't have come up in a search uh, under Jack Katarikawa because it had been uh, entered into the database as Jack Katarikwe, for example. So obviously making sure that was firmly attributed to him was important. And that's one example of a case where we reached out to his family actually in Uganda to just check that, you know, is this definitely his work? Can we attribute it to him? Um, we can talk about any more of these works in detail if you want, but I'm going to hand over to Meredith um, who was one of my brilliant research assistants. Who This is one of the works that she fleshed out the story for because this is one that we knew uh, nothing about really beforehand.
4: So This is definitely probably one of my favourite works in the collection. Um, it's one of several prints that we have but the only one that's been printed in colour and it's really kind of complex. There's a lot of really intricate layering going on here. Um, But it also probably more so than a lot of the other works in the collection is more clearly attributed in just in terms of we can literally read kind of the inscriptions and markings that had been left on the print itself. So that's really where we started with the research. Um, He's signed it here El Sabia, and so uh, thankfully Lucky Sabia is probably one of the most prominent South African artists um, of his day and so it's quite easy to kind of find him um, and thankfully because this is a print and it's part of an edition of several works um, versions of this had been sold previously at auction so there was kind of a an auction cataloging trail that we were able to kind of track and trace and uncover a lot more about this work and attribute it correctly with the date and a correct name. So through this kind of research process and reading of the inscriptions and going down this auction route, we were able to find out that it was one of a series of 15 works in a portfolio titled Umabatha. And Umabatha was an illustration of a play written by a South African playwright, Wakan Masomi, in the 1970s, also titled Umabatha. And Umabatha was a play, it was a retelling of Shakespeare's Macbeth, sort of dramatizing 19th century Zulu history and culture. And so in this print here, there are kind of three figures and a bull and several other abstract forms floating around. The three figures are the Sangoma, for which the the title, um, the work is named. And so Sangoma is a traditional Zulu healer and would have been the equivalent of the three witches in Macbeth. And so what's really fascinating about this work is that not only does it have a kind of relevance to wider Zulu culture and history, but it's also really personal to the artist. So through research, we were able to find out that Lucky Sabiya's own father was in fact a Sangoma. And so a lot of these kind of traditional Zulu imagery that influences a lot of the abstract forms and things that we see in this print Were drawn from childhood memories of the kind of bones and artifacts and things that his father would have used in consultations. So that was really exciting to find out. And um, this work was exhibited quite widely. Um, It was, along with the rest of the series, was shown in a London gallery in 1976, which we think is probably about where Mitchinson uh, ended up purchasing the work. And Mitchinson herself was a really vocal critic of apartheid under which Um, Lucky Sabia and his family had kind of grown up because of course it only ended in the early 1990s. And so this really, she wrote a lot about apartheid and had written a sort of biography on Nelson Mandela's lawyer, things like that. And so that combined with the kind of uh, purpose behind the Argyle collection was, which was to really draw these links between Highland Scotland and African continent it's quite obvious why this particular work would have really uh, drawn her to it and it's kind of really explicit um, combining of these two geographically disparate places and bringing them together and I think that's probably why it's one of my favorite works in the collection because it so clearly illustrates how these two parts of the world can really come together and have these really prominent links that perhaps we don't originally see.
1: Thanks, Meredith. Yeah, so that's one of the things we see in, in Naomi Mitchison's writing is that she sees resonances between the, the kind of world of the Highlands in Scotland and Africa in the era of uh, independence. So South Africa, of course, falls outside of that, but she was very interested in seeing points of parallel between these parts of the world. So we can speak more about that later. But um, I think for time purposes, we should move straight on to Kem. Um, and you can tell us Kem, maybe a little about this painting which you brilliantly also uh, reattributed this was one that was not correctly attributed
0: yes um <clears throat> this also happens to be my favorite uh painting uh it's uh when we encountered it at first i think the original entry said henry Taez um online and so it was and I wouldn't blame anyone. It was quite difficult to see. Um, it, it looked like a Z on the on the canvas, but um, yeah, so it was difficult to to pin down. But after a while, it just took a little bit of examining, and I looked really closely, and I could see the difference between the L and the I. Um, so once once we had sort of identified it as a, a Tayali, we just moved from there. Um, I was really drawn to the painting just because of the the color the the um the the figures and the way that they've been scattered across the canvas the sort of pictorial space or the lack thereof or the flattening um yeah I just thought it was a a wonderful example of uh some of the work that African artists um have been producing and one which kind of falls into a canon of work that we've been um we well Kate was uh Kate kind of assimilated me to, or at least uh, made me familiar with. And uh, yeah, it, it's, it's fit in there beautifully. Um, pardon?
1: I was going to say, Elikim, you should also say about your intrepid research to Zambia, right? You you contacted the National Gallery.
0: Yeah, um, so at first, so I, I didn't really know that much about Tayali. I tried to look him up and uh, there wasn't that much. So I I, I, I found though that there is uh, the Zambian Visual Arts Council which is, uh, I guess, the body which is in charge of the artists and, um, and the sort of cultural um, cultural policy to do with art in Zambia. And they actually, their head office, the gallery at their head office happens to be called the Henry Tayali Gallery. So um, they really, he's a really revered artist in Zambia. And when I wrote to them and told them that this work was in the collection and that I wasn't really sure um, uh, of any of the details about it, we got a reply And the by Zenzele Trulu. And um, they were really, really excited to find out that the painting um, existed. They had never seen it before. They weren't sure whether it was really, um, they, they, they had never seen the painting before, but they were certain that it was a Tayali. There was a whole description that came with the email, which is sort of talking about the composition and how that's characteristic of the artist. And um, yeah, just general excitement. So that was, uh, that kind of put the wind in the sails of the, the project because, um, or, uh, for me, because yeah, it, it kind of corroborated um, the initial suspicion that the tires was Tayali. And then, um, yeah, and, and from there we, yeah, we just tried to find as much information. We went back and forth with the gallery in Zambia um, and, and tried to find as much information as possible. There was uh, already quite a lot going on in the image, so in terms of writing the caption, um, after doing the the sort of image, um, after doing the sort of the artwork, saying what condition the artwork was in and all of the conditions reports, um, there was quite a lot to do in terms of uh, visual analysis because there's obviously a lot going on in the image. So um, that kind of filled up the bulk of the 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 blurb that we were writing. So we didn't need that much historical background. Um, and I and we I didn't have that much, but I really enjoyed getting to grips with, um, with you know the the history or at least the legacy of the artist in Zambia. Knowing that you know he's actually really uh, he's he's got a, a huge following, and uh, this little unknown work was was here in the middle of nowhere, and, and yeah, it was, it was really nice to connect that line. But even further, one of the best things about this is seeing how students in um, students in yeah, who have engaged the collection and, uh, uh, and who, have, who are in noon and in um, Argyll and Butte have um, taken up these works and made their own versions of it and they're yeah, sort yeah. of with them artistically. I really find that uh, super exciting. I think that that is kind of the whole, the whole point of, of the project because we're reinserting these African works into the sort of minds of people who, um, who are interested in art but might not have ever encountered an um, African work So, um, yeah, it was really fulfilling, not only from an art history side and learning how to do the provenance and and all of that, but also, you know, seeing it come to come full circle and sort of contribute to the, I don't know, artistic development of, of, um, yeah, the younger sort of school kids.
1: Yeah, thanks, Elikem. So this is, this is just to show you how it's installed in the gallery. Now we're able to install it with a full caption, full information. And as well as reaching out as uh, Elikem did with Zinzeli Chulu, we've actually made contact with Teali's son, Roderick Teali, who lives in Germany. And he sent us these wonderful photographs of his father and is very excited that the painting is in Scotland. Um, and then I know we're really kind of running out of time. So I'll just very briefly show you some photographs of the actual exhibition itself, because Elikem has alluded to the fact that we have all the work laid out um, I've obviously we've included things like the map and so because the whole point of the exhibition is not just to exhibit the works as you can get to know the works but to show the research and to help you to kind of place these uh, in the worlds from which they came so and these are this is here you're getting a tour from my one-year-old who was helping me with the install last week um, but this shows you the kind of information panels these are the paintings uh, as they're installed in the gallery along with in the glass cases we've included some kind of ephemera from the era. Here, you've got things from Umabasa, which go with the Lucky Sibia print behind that show you a bit flesh out the world of these works a bit more. And then the side gallery, we have these, just in the last couple of minutes, we can show you these works, which is the work that Tawona has inspired. Um, We ran the first primary school workshops using um, both one of the pieces, the Tinga Tinga painting, Mande Adeyusi's Tinga Tinga painting and also Henry Tayali's painting um, because the Argyle collection was intended as an educational resource. And you can see here that there's a school, um, Kilmartin School on the left there, did a group portrait inspired by Henry Tayali's portrait. Um, and you can see here some of the creative text that was produced
2: um, at Alec School. Um, it was just to say that um, in initial uh, discussions about the um, exhibition, um, we were talking about this painting in particular, the Adduce painting. That um, it was a, it was based on folk tales, so I thought it'd be a really good way of looking at it to approach um, schools um, to think about creative writing. And that's when we worked with Tuona. So this was this all happened during lockdown. So there were virtual um, workshops, but um, by the end of the um, project, they were. The kids were all back in school so we we they could actually see the painting in the classroom which is exactly how they were intended most of the paintings are exhibited in high schools but we've really tried to to get them into primaries and it's a really really good way of um, them discovering the world so they've they've done this whole pilot project about the the artwork so they've found out more about Tanzania and Dar es Salaam and that you know they've gone into google street view and looked and compared it to where they live and they've done these amazing pieces of writing and we will be able to share those with you. Um, that were 55 word pieces and it was all about looking at these artworks from the point of view of um, different voices and um, taking on different characteristics and spoken word and drama and music and yeah I mean working with kids in workshops is always fun but these were incredibly enjoyable um, and really really I don't think I've ever laughed so much in a workshop So that gives you a brief rundown, I guess, of the kind of
1: project from research project through to exhibition. And then this is the whole idea of the Argyle collection is that they are to be used in school. So the very end of the exhibition is using the wonderful work that Tarona pioneered to show uh, the potential, hopefully, for these works to be learning resources in schools. And I think Toona included, we've produced some pilot learning resources worksheets on a couple of the works of art, and they're available on our website. And I think Toona might have included them in some of the material for the spring school, but you can definitely take a look at those. They're kind of info booklets and um, activity ideas for. Primary school children, but we would like to expand up, obviously, uh, to secondary school and community learning projects as well, um, because these works offer such a great opportunity to learn about specific places on the African continent. Points. It's a very important era in history and individual artists. I think part of the the reason this project is exciting is that the Argyle collection was originally set up, you know, as a local resource for Argyle and Butte, but its original purpose has kind of expired you know th- these schools these days are not so removed from museums and other places and so and by the same extent this collection could be shared much more widely elsewhere in Scotland could inspire conversations in classrooms further afield than Dunoon and doban and elsewhere and so this is a really exciting resource not just for Argyll and Beat, but hopefully uh, for communities more broadly so that with Hopefully with all of these new biographies and information that, that they can be enjoyed in that way. I actually have a question.
4: Will you be running
1: more
2: workshops in other schools, maybe in Glasgow as well? Working with Kilmartin and Sadie Alec, um, that was a pilot project and we, we've had discussions about, because there's 12 works, lending them out as part of Black History Month. the the whole idea was that we developed the resources with the schools it wasn't we just handed them something but I mean the schools that we've worked with have come up with such brilliant interpretations of these of these artworks so yeah we're really hoping to share that and to carry on carry on this project I don't I think that's what's really exciting about it it's not like hasn't got a shelf life it's this is it's it's about kind of relationships between different organizations and I think it'll continue yeah and the hope definitely is that so the artworks themselves live in Argyle, And
1: there are some complications about lending the artworks, I think, further afield than Argyle. But that's something that Madeline can, can maybe speak to you more. But but the resources, and we've got high resolution images and the worksheets and all of that, that's all publicly available online. And the hope would be, like, my, for example, my sister is a primary school teacher down in Warwick and uh, down in England, and she has already been looking at those worksheets to maybe use in the autumn too. So the hope would be, obviously the dream is that. Kids can actually have the artwork in their classrooms because certainly it's Tavialik and Kilmartin. They were terribly excited to have like Sam and Tiro's painting in their classroom, especially when we told them that the other one of his paintings is in MoMA in New York. It was really, you know, exciting for them to have such an artist in their classroom. But uh, as I say, we've got high enough resolution images that, you know, cl- teachers could use them uh, who, even if they don't have the physical painting, could, could still use it as a learning resource. So that would certainly be a hope. Um, you know, that's an opportunity for the project to expand that with. Two of the artists are still alive. They're in their early 80s and they were incredibly excited to learn that They hadn't seen their work since they were undergraduate students at Makerere College in Kampala in the 1960s. And so they were completely shocked and amazed to learn that it was living in a school in Scotland. So um, we hope one of the things moving forward might be to try and and do a sort of interview with them and get them on camera and allow children to actually meet the artists, that kind of thing. One of them is based in Entebbe in Uganda and the other is in, and now lives in America but was a very prominent professor in Tanzania for many, many years. Louis Umbaguni is still alive. He's the painter of this kind of the fisherman scene. And the other is a printmaker, Catherine, the only woman actually in the collection, Catherine um, Nankia. Um, And she rather wonderfully has written a kind of, explanation of her print, which is entitled Youth. And it's all about going from being a child to kind of graduating from university and not really knowing what to do next. It's sort of her kind of on the precipice of adulthood. And it was remarkable for her to kind of rediscover that at the age of 79. And she's written us this rather lovely piece of writing speaking certainly to tuona's work doing written text and artwork. Catherine has produced that for us and it, that's on display in the gallery. So the exhibition definitely has quite a bit of text in it I've tried not so we would definitely Madeline. have tried it and I I've tried not to make sure that it's not totally overwhelmed with text but text and information and research and that writing is an important part of understanding these works and their significance so we haven't held back in sharing things like Catherine's writings
0: thank you for listening to the podcast of the UNESCO Chair in Refugee Integration Through Languages and Arts a podcast series to make you think More information about work can be found on the website of the University of Glasgow, www.gla.ac.uk. Thank you very much.